everyone, this is Jeff Anderson. And this is Buck Green. And this is Modern Combat and Survival's Friday Reload, where we cover the tips, tricks, and tactics you may not have caught from this week's news and blog posts if you weren't paying attention. And we've got a lot in store for you this week. So it was kind of a fun week in the uh, in the comments section. A little bit of scuffles, but some really great tips that came out of it from our readers as well. And we covered everything from survival communications to Navy SEAL firearms tips and riot control. So we had lots of really, really cool stuff for you uh, for this week. And this is just our chance to give you kind of a, a recap, a little bit of a Cliff Notes version, if you will. If you if you were like me and you used Cliff Notes religiously during high school but just to give you kind of the quick tips and and stuff from the blog posts themselves and then what i recommend that you do is if you find something that really reaches out and says oh i wish i had had read that one this week all you have to do is go back to the blog and check it out and read the entire the entire blog post so i'm going to go ahead and get started this morning buck and uh the first the first blog post that we had this week really raised up a, a lot of great tips and this was a a guest post that we got from Richard Marshall, who is an, he's a former, well, he's worked for FEMA. He has, um, he's worked for both federal and state emergency operations centers. I mean, basically he's got a lot of experience with like truly working inside of disasters. And one of the things that he was talking about was how one of the most heartbreaking things is that when people are separated during a disaster. So, you know, you might be at work and your your spouse is at work and the kids are at school or whatever. And this is a big question that we get, like, how do you communicate among your family so you can get back together? And he had seven survival communication strategies that we call it, uh, the title for this was seven survival communication strategies your neighbors don't know. And I'll just quickly run down what they are and then you can go back to the blog and check them out. So one was a pre-designated rally points. Uh, this is something we talk about a lot. But uh, it's definitely is, you know, is it something that you've actually set up with your family? Number two is to have two out of state points of contact so that, you know, there might be relatives or friends that you've got that live in another state, but to coordinate with them ahead of time. And one thing that we didn't cover in the in the blog that I thought was um, important was to make sure that those people are in like if you have two out of state contacts, try and make them in separate directions, depending upon how, you know, disasters actually reach out and touch your area. Uh, you know, you might you might have, you might not have touched one person in another state, but the way of getting there may be closed down or maybe a mass exodus. And so the opposite direction might be better. Uh, the third method was to distribute all contact information. Basically what that means is, you know, creating multiple copies of your family members and close friends contact information and distributing that among other people so that you don't have to call everyone one by one in an emergency to let them know that you're safe or to coordinate anything, you can just have like one point of contact and that person can call the other people, even if they don't know them. If they have the list of people that they should call, then you can use them for, you know, you make one phone call, especially in a disaster. It's not like you want to be on the phone or, you know, using up your cell phone juice if you've got it or whatever. So just uh, have one person do it all for you. Uh, number four was think outside the contact box. And basically what that means is if you, uh, you know, thinking of who, who do you, who does your family interact with that if you can't get a hold of them, who could you get a hold of? I think everybody's used this before. You know, it's like you can't get your spouse. You're like, I can't get my wife on the phone. I can't get my wife on the phone, but I know she's with my sister. And so I call my sister. It's like, hey, is my wife there? Yeah, she's right here. Okay, well, tell her to pick up her damn phone. 
So, uh, so this might be like teachers, even like your, if your, if your kids teachers will give you their cell phone numbers and you have a hard time, you know, if you can't reach your kid in school or something like that during an emergency. Uh, number five is two way radios. And I know that I use these with my son and, uh, we've got some really good ones. And, uh, so that we use that actually those a lot, especially even on our property and stuff. Uh, number six was sideband radio or like a CB radio. And this was a good alternative to like a ham radio that, you know, requires a license. And, you know, I know a lot of people are ham radio operators. Um, if you, if you're not that deep into communications, then a CB radio, um, has really good range. Obviously you can have, you can have an antenna on it. I thought this was a, this was kind of my favorite tip among the seven tips uh, to have a CB radio. I don't have one, uh, but it's definitely got me thinking about it. And then number when seven, was, go ahead. What? When what? I was a kid, my father had CB radios in every single vehicle he ever drove. It was a constant of my childhood. Of course, it was the 70s. Yeah, and I, yeah, you, so you probably grew up in the moving on generation like I did, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the television show? And then there was like, um, what was that one with something in the bear? BJ and the Bear. BJ, that was Greg Evigan. Yeah. <laughs> BJ Greg and the Evigan Bear. Greg and a chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> ah, where were those days? Now we have reality TV. But you know, it, but I we had one also in the car, and it was we weren't truckers, but I don't know. My my stepfather really was into CB radios, and so it was fun for us to kids on get on there and like Breaker One Nine. This is you know peanut butter, and you know it's peanut butter and jelly. Come come back and. <laughs> There was a brief window of time when the Citizens Band Radio actually was the Citizens Band Radio. I mean, everybody thought, well, yeah, I want to be able to communicate, too. The reality of it was basically you were just hearing truckers swear at each other all day. So I think it kind of fell out of favor. But I have a friend uh, who has been a truck driver for more than a decade. And, you know, he swears by it. It's just that's his means of communicating with the folks around him and the folks that he works with. So it, it, it comes down to context. I think for most people on a day-to-day -day basis, Citizens Band Radio is not going to help them until they need it in an emergency. But for some of us, even today, that thing is a daily lifeline of communication. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, uh, and especially from the comments we were talking about, was if you put, if you have like a base station and an antenna, then you can actually get a pretty good range on it, especially if you're looking at if you've got, if you do have like a survival base, whether it's your retreat your home or whatever, and people have to go out and go foraging or go get resupplies of some sort, then, you know, it can give you better distance than like two ray radios cans. I mean, that's what, that's what it's all about. It's like, how far away can you talk to the people that you need to talk to? So, um, so I thought that was, that was really interesting. Uh, number seven was text messaging. And the point behind that was that if so, if cell towers are all jammed up, you might not be able to get a signal where you can actually talk with somebody on the cell phone during an emergency. But if you send a text message, it has a a, a better chance of getting through. And I don't know. Actually, I, I I didn't really do the research on this, but I don't know if that means like if you if it goes into Quay or Q or however you say that. But you know where you do a text message and it it doesn't get delivered. But I mean, I think everybody's had this where it's like. Hey, I texted you. Why didn't you? Oh, I didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, like at 2 a.m., the phone next to your bed goes ding. And it's like you get the text message from, you know, earlier that day. I don't know if, if it goes into a queue like that and and when it well, finally can get through, it goes through. 
cell networks are a lot like black magic and sorcery. There's very few people who understand how they actually operate. The dirty little secret of text messaging is that it costs almost nothing to send a text message. An SMS message is, is the tiniest little piece of data going out over that network. So when, you're, if your cell phone company is holding you up for uh, an exorbitant cost for a per number of text messages, and for the most part, they've gotten away from this because everyone demands an unlimited number of text messages, but it's, it's nothing to send those. So it makes perfect sense that an SMS message could get through when a voice call you know, wouldn't go through because the grid is so clogged up. And I've actually experienced that um, right after September 11th, uh, we had that big Northeast blackout that followed not too long afterwards. And mm-hmm. the first thing everybody thought was, oh God, the power's out everywhere, it's this terrorism. So the first thing we did was pick up our cell phones and call our loved ones. Well, of course, that's the first time I can remember going to make a call and it said uh, you know, that the network was too busy and my call couldn't go through. And so that was, the, the very first moment I realized, oh, God, in an emergency, this phone is an elaborate paperweight that plays Angry Birds. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's, that's good input. Um, you know, so everybody, there's, there's some really good tips here. Go back and read all, like, in-depth into all of those different communications because it's really about backup communications, too. I mean, you could have a CB radio, but, you know, things break, obviously. They get destroyed by weather and everything. So it's about having backup communications to everything. So go read those. And there were some really great comments in there from from our readers. We get a lot of great comments. So um, this Friday Reload really isn't as much about the blog posts. Well, it is, but but it's about all the great tips and everything that come back from the people who are, are reading and sharing their own advice as well. So go check those out. Uh, Buck, what have you got for uh, for a rundown? Well, the post that holds the award for most terrifying blog post ever would have to be the one about the Ebola virus and you. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't worry too much about things that I can physically deal with. I mean, yeah, the idea of civil unrest or a riot or, or just, you know, the power being out, these are things that physically we can cope with and that you can stockpile supplies for and that you feel like you have a strategy. But when, you know, you post that the Ebola virus has killed hundreds of people, I think the number is up to like between 900 and 1,000 now in Africa, and that the World Health Organization is saying that it's taking place faster than they can control it, it gets pretty terrifying pretty fast. Um, as the blog post outlines, you know, Ebola typically, it's been contained in rural areas in Africa. There was only a few countries that had it. When it happened, it killed people so fast that it just couldn't spread because, you know, it's not like you could have Ebola for six months, not know it, spread it around, and then people started to drop like flies. No, you you get it, and pretty soon you're shooting blood out your eyes, and you're dead pretty much right away. Um, and that terrifies me. That scares the living crap out of me. Um, you know, and you said it yourself on the plug, you know, what do you do to prepare for an Ebola outbreak? There's nothing, nothing yeah. to do because there's no way to cure it, and it's going to kill you. Um, there's been some weird stuff on the news recently. I've been following the story reluctantly, uh, and they're saying that they've, they've tried an experimental serum on the two Americans that they brought into the country, uh, and that's terrifying in and of itself. I mean, this is like the beginning of every zombie movie everywhere. You know, the Ebola apocalypse is upon us, and... The, the, they're bringing people with Ebola into a country that didn't have it and saying, oh, they're fine now. We, we gave them this experimental serum and, and they're okay. They're home. Like, what? They're, yeah. they're home? <laughs> so it just, everything about this story 
is terrifying, and it underscores the need to uh, – there's the, the special report that we do. It is one of my favorites and one that I refer to often is the warning signs of a collapse report that you know gives you an idea of what to look out for so you have some kind of a leading indicator of what's going to happen and when it's going to go bad so that you know when to buckle down and, and get ready. You know, sort of a brace yourself, this is going to suck kind of a report. Yeah, and if everybody doesn't know where that is, that's at survivalgearsecrets.com. That's our free report. And it's actually, like, it's on Survival Gear, but the entire first part of that program is about the five collapse warning signs that are, that really are like no BS. There's no fantasy about it. It's not like giant meteors, you know, are going to strike the earth and split us in half. They're really things that are happening now that can, that can, and we bring these up all the time because these things are happening. And we talk, you know, and one of those is we talk about the warning signs of pandemic, and so that's why you know this this post was really timely, and for me, what stood out also is that you know we talk about how fast they can spread by airplane, from the time that we posted the blog post to the time we're talking about it now, you know, and we said you know it's only a matter of time before somebody gets on a plane and brings it to the United States, and then from that time we posted, somebody came brought it to the United States. And then it was like, okay, well, it's contained in New York. And then it's, nope, wait a minute, one more person got on a plane and went to Atlanta. <laughs> so well, all, and it, that's, it can spread so quickly just from one person getting on a plane, hugging their loved one, giving them a kiss, hello, and it gets spread from there at the airport, you know? Well, and again, it was like every zombie movie ever, every disease movie like you know outbreak and even yeah a rise of the planet of the apes and stuff any movie where they they show you a scenario where a guy is infecting other people there was the one guy who was like oh god i i feel really bad i should immediately fly home to the united <laughs> states and he dies before he gets there because he's that sick oh man you know it's just terrifying stuff and it's it's cinematic in its in its horrifying component yeah so uh we unlike most of the stuff we post on the blog there are no comments on this post, and it's because it's so terrifying. I didn't want to comment on it either. Like, we all like, I'll be hiding under the bed. Let me know when the Ebola scare is over. <laughs> I mean, I thought SARS was bad when that happened, but this is much, much more terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, part of that may be just the, the media banging the drum every day, but I got to say, this outbreak scares me. Yeah. Well, what's, what I find really interesting here is that we have – two different drums beating, right? So the media is like, Ebola, Ebola, Ebola. And then yesterday I watched, you know, the president get up and it's like, don't worry, we've got super juice. We've got super serum. We fixed it. The problem's all done. We managed to knock it out in just a couple of days. And we're sending a lot of this stuff off to, uh, so don't worry. So it's <laughs> yeah, like, I, which is it? <laughs> I, think I, I think I speak for a lot of Americans when I say I am not comforted by that reassurance. <laughs> No, no, I'll watch Fox News and get all riled up. No, no, they're they're fine. They'll be fine. Sure, the disease kills everybody and blood jets out of your eyes and there's nothing you can do and you'll be dead in six hours. But no, they're they're feeling much better. We've got super juice. Yeah. Um I you know, I always love uh posting stuff for firearms and so this week we had another guest post from my buddy David Morris who um who has just he he just released a new DVD program that um is really amazing it's it's a it's a completely different approach to teaching firearms and it and it's kind of one of those that you can do by DVD it's nothing that you need to go to a live course for um if you want to 
if you want to check out that course, it's, he actually teamed up with a couple of retired Navy SEALs from SEAL Team 3. And um, these are guys that have written about in books. They're really, really good. And they developed these unique methods, and now they've got it out on a DVD course. You can go to concealedcarrymastery.com and check out that program. But one of the things that um, – so this post was, how our retired Navy SEAL exposed a critical firearms training mistake nearly everyone makes and the simple solution he developed to fix it fast. So this one is about um, – what, what I found interesting about this is that it, it builds on the concept of how you train is how you'll fight. And that the type of training, even when you go to like advanced firearms courses, um, it's in a very linear fashion. In fact, uh, he calls it linear range training scars. And basically what that means is when you go to the range, you're, you're, you have to keep your weapon pointed down range. You're focused in on a very linear range. Like there's you and then there's people alongside you, but so you're focused um, looking, looking in a very straight line down in a very specific area. And so the more and more that you train, you build this pat this subliminal um subconscious pattern of thinking straight ahead in front of you, keep your weapon down here and that this really builds in this these training scars that when your adrenaline starts kicking in, you lose your critical thinking. So this is, you know, this force, you know, so your brain goes into basically lizard mode and you will fight as you train. And those those scars really can be there. So an example of this that they gave was in the in the training course that the, these um, these former Navy SEALs did. Um, you know they 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 had the trainee approach the um, the tr- the or the trainer approach the trainee, and with a threatening gesture, and the guy pulled out and shot the uh, the trainer like he was supposed to with the training gun. But what he didn't realize is that there was another trainer coming up behind him that killed him with a training knife. And they call this this three, you know, you don't think in 360, you think in a very straight line. And so what, uh, he gave a, a training drill to overcome this. And it's basically just, you know, using, and, and, you know, we're big advocates about training at home with inert firearms, things like airsoft, um, you know, blue guns. Uh, things like that, or a cert, a cert trainer. I've got a, I've got a cert gun, and so you can, you can basically set up a training scenario in your home where you just have different targets or something like that. But having somebody behind you, so a training partner or even a spouse or something like that, and that has another inert training weapon of some sort, or even just your fingers if you want to, and then um, to go ahead and engage your target in front of you, but then look behind you to see what that person is doing. So they might just have a look of horror and shock on their face with their hands up, or they could have a knife or they could have a gun or something like that. And you have to determine whether or not they're a threat or not. And there is something else you can, you can read about in the blog, but they call it the, the silly scan and how to overcome that. Because even courses that, that teach you this, or even people that they've seen try and do this in courses, do this thing called the silly scan, which is basically like a half-assed 360 check, and so they talk about that in the um, in the blog post as well, and you you can you can look that up there. But essentially, this training technique gets you used to not just thinking in 360, but also identifying threats in a 360 and knowing what you know. It's basically shoot or don't shoot scenarios. Um, all right, so Buck, you've got the last one for this week. What do we got? Well, the uh, the post that really this one spoke to me 
because it's a subject near and dear to my heart. And that's the three military riot control gizmos you'll face in a collapse. Um, I'm, I'm from the old school survivalist days when, you know, everyone was talking about how the government was going to come get you. And while we've gotten away from that a little bit, some say yes, some say no, uh, the militarization of police is one of those things that worries me. And the use of these high-tech gizmos that are supposed to be, well, it's not going to hurt them, so it's okay. I mean, there was a time when they were putting down a riot. If you're using a fire hose, you know what that's going to do. If you're using rubber bullets or tear gas, you know what those do. And I would like to think that people don't just casually lob rubber bullets into a crowd because those can kill you. But uh, with the advent of of these uh, new high-tech active denial type systems, uh, I think we're almost like with tasers and with, uh, 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 what's the other word for a taser? Um, any of these devices are supposed to be less than lethal. And then you hear these, these terrible uh, stories about people dying from them. Like somebody gets tased and then they have a heart attack. You know, I think we're teaching law enforcement as a community to be like, well, they'll be fine. We'll just throw this switch and then they'll go away because it's very unpleasant. And we don't stop to think about what these things actually do. Uh, like the the first one, the pain ray, which is a lot like getting your skin set on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think when we're teaching our authorities, to, well, just microwave the crowd. They'll, they'll be fine. They'll get over it. Um, that scares the crap out of me. Um, you know, the, the sound cannon, uh, the one that they call the, the long range acoustic device, which is used sometimes on, on ships too, because apparently the idea of shooting pirates is a little too definitive and effective. <laughs> We're going to throw sound at them and that will terrify the men in the speedboats and the machine guns and that they will go away because it's loud. Um, you know, I, I question that, but okay, I, I guess they have some effectiveness, but they're using the, the LRAD systems to, uh, actually target crowds and, and, and shunt those crowds away from areas where they want to, you know, disperse the, the riot. Um, there, there was a great comment on the blog about that, actually, from a fellow named David Richardson, who actually has made quite a few quality comments recently on, on our blog. And he pointed out that, you know, the, the LRAD, it, it's not just a loud sound. He's like, try to, try to picture being inside a stereo boombox. This is noise that vibrates every part of your body it's just awful um so between the between the microwaving people's skin and making them feel like they've been set on fire and pummeling them with sound it's only a matter of time before somebody dies from this uh because you know it's not like they're they're uh, checking the crowd screening them and be like you don't have a heart condition do you because we're going to turn this on and it's going to be horrible um and then the, the thing that i found a little more amusing but uh, no less disturbing is this idea of the purple water cannon, where they're still hitting you with fire hoses, a la the old civil rights days. But now the fire hose water is full of dye so that they can find you and like go door to door arresting the people who are a funny color. They're like, well, clearly you were at the riot because you're now purple, sir. So it, it just there's so many layers of potentially disturbing. You know, most of us think, well, I, I'm not the kind of guy who goes out and riots, so I'm not worried about these things. And that's fine until things get so bad that you decide you actually want to join a political protest. And the next thing you know, some guy on a tank with a with a microwave skin burning device is lighting you up. <laughs> exactly. I know. And this one, I, we did. This one did get a lot of comments. And 
you know, I, I, we always try to stay, we always try to add some reality to, uh, to things. And I kind of, I won't say I got in a scuffle on the comments, but, um, you know, somebody had, had put something in there and I think they were just trying to get a rile out of the other, the other readers, you know, and, um, but it started this, this kind of YouTube tire, YouTube like tirade of, you know, <laughs> you mothers, you know, it's like, I hope you die. And, you know, you are, you are toilet water. And, and um, so I always have to jump in as like the mom and say, okay, come on, kids, come on, like, like, like let's get along, let's get along. And, um, but it, it started this whole thing about how Obama is, is looking to, you know, their master, the government's master plan is to install martial law, round up everybody and enslave everybody as an imperial king. And, you know, I, I definitely have my, um, my things I'm unsettled about and, and, uh, and angry about, but I think what, what gets lost in the reality of this separate and separating it from the fantasy is that it's, it's pretty much impossible to actually go out and, and enslave Americans for the same, first of all, for the same reason that it's impossible to kind of defeat North Korea outside of just nuking the entire thing, because we have built into our constitution, our second amendment. And we've seen things even on a small scale, like the Bundy ranch thing, no matter what your opinion of these things, you know, a show of force does, um, it, it, it makes a difference. And, you're, so, number one, we are an armed populace, and I'm not calling for overthrow of government or anything like that. All I'm saying is that in times of disaster, in times of true collapse, um, people are going to band together. And we've seen examples of this, you know, like from the L.A. The LA um, Rodney King riots and things like that. When people band together in a show of force, it makes a difference. If you go to North Korea, they have their – I mean, it's basically – you have your elite and then you've got your farmers and they have the farmers through the, the, the media that they, they put out within their country. They have everybody so nationalized, like so into their, their country that if you were to ever start a, a war with North Korea, every farmer would pick up a pitchfork and be like waiting to get on a boat to come over and infiltrate the United States to, to save their country. Like they're that, into protecting their country. So one thing is we, you know, our populace is never going, would never just, you know, give into that. The other thing is that you still have to, there, there seems to be this, this, um, this fantasy out there that there's like the military are, are stormtroopers and the police are stormtroopers and everybody's going to bond together. Or they're just lying in wait to jump in there and go door to door and just round people up. You know, I was in the military and, and I know law enforcement intimately. I've got, you know, lots of, lots and lots of friends in, in high places in, in law enforcement. And, you know, first of all, during a disaster, these people are going to be worried about themselves, not worrying about going out there and rounding people up. Um, they have their own families to, to protect as well. So you're going to lose a lot of those people, but there is still, um, you know, people still do want to do the right thing. And so it's not like the, the U.S. military is just going to fall in lock, stock, and barrel and in line and say, okay, put on the stormtrooper suits and let's go round everybody up into, into FEMA camps and everything. Like that's like even, even the government knows that they would never, even if they wanted to enslave people, they would never be able to win the hearts and minds of people that would need to carry it out. 
And so we, we take a, a much more practical approach to martial law and FEMA camps and things like that, that go out, you know, they, they don't fall in line with the, there's an imperial king who is looking to enslave everybody. But there, there is a threat there. We do talk about it a lot on our blog, and, and um, we're getting ready to do a whole podcast segment on it. Um, so there is, there is a lot of information out there that is practical, but there's a lot of fantasy as well. Well, you know, they, they say never ascribe to malicious intent what can be explained by incompetence. And I think the thing we, we should be worried about when it comes to martial law or FEMA camps or that sort of thing is there may come a point when the government is trying to impose order. When that happens, their priority is not you and your well-being. Their priority is the establishment of order. Right. And if people suffer along the way, that's too bad. We're here to create order. So the, the problem is not that uh, you know they, they're coming to get you. The problem is that they don't care about you, and your family's well-being is not their primary goal. So the enemy is really bureaucracy um, and incompetence. And yeah. I think there's plenty of that to go around. Uh, so there really is a, a, a need to keep these things in perspective. And yes, the threat is very real, but that threat is much less personal than people try to make it. It's much more about the machine and not caring about you. However, I am going to go on the blog and immediately post, Jeff Anderson thinks America is just like North Korea. <laughs> yeah, that'll start some good comments. But your, but your point's <laughs> well taken because, I mean, we've seen this in action. We saw that when the Boston bombing um, happened and they were looking for the suspects, police went and like, I mean, there's videos, you can, you can see it online. But the police in SWAT, full SWAT gear went door to door, yanking people out like they were all meth manufacturers, like go, just going yeah, and, into people's homes. Well, and they told everyone, uh, you're now locked down in your house. You can't leave. We're, we're locking everyone in the city away like they're prisoners. And they had no authority to do that, but they did it anyway. Yeah. So, you know, well, that's what's scary. Yeah. And, there, and I guess there is some sort of a, a like there's some little weird loophole that does allow them to do that for everyone's safety. But I guess more to my point is like how they treated people, like how it was caught on video, like they treated people like they were criminals and yeah. pulled them out and like, get out, get out. Like they're screaming and yelling at them. And that, that right there, I have seen in combat where the lines get blurred between right and wrong. And while their hearts might be in the right, I mean, look, they're looking for somebody that just bombed a bunch of people. So, their hearts are in the right place. But what happens when you get all that adrenaline going and you don't know who's the enemy and, you know, is this the house where somebody's going to be waiting with another bomb or something? You know, that it that's when, like, tempers flare and they get overzealous and how they're dealing with the people they're supposed to be protecting. And so that stuff definitely can happen. And you see that even, like, riot control, like when, you know, you've got people with the riot shields there and everything – there there gets built into the situation this us versus them and then all it takes is one rock to be thrown or whatever that can turn the whole thing upside down so so there's lots of lots of um lots of good points in that in that post and the comments some really good stuff yeah there. absolutely yeah okay everybody now we come to uh, a new segment in our show called what do you know which is where um, we basically go back over the comments from our readers i mean the best tips that we get always come from sharing of tips from our readers in the comments to our blog posts, podcasts, and things like that all over on our Facebook page. So, um, so 
what I want to do is um, we're going to just go over something that we know this week that we didn't know last week because of one of our readers that shared a tip with us. And so I'll go ahead and go first. And, and actually, you brought up David uh, Richardson. And uh, I've actually started following his comments now on our blog because he has, he has some really great advice in there. And there was something that um, I didn't know. He was talking, it was on the post for the seven communication uh, tips in a, in a collapse. And he had brought up, um, consider using marine VHF radios, especially the convenient waterproof handheld units. In most cases, for an individual or family, licensing is not required. Um, less range than HAM or SSB, but more robust than CB in most cases. And even handheld units uh, direct, uh, even small handheld units direct to each other. So I, I had never considered that. And VHF, and it started this really good discussion on the blog itself, but um, you know, the, the marine VHF units, I've heard reports that they can go up to like 200 miles. Now, maybe that's on flat ocean or, you know, you, when you don't have terrain in there. But that if that has a, a, a further distance than a CB radio, then it seems like that's a really a good – because I was checking them out, and they're actually like they float. There's handheld units. Um, you can have a base station again. The only problem that came up was, well, you're only supposed to use them on the water. And somebody accurately said in there, well, you know, who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, basically, if it's a collapse, okay, you know, I guess you just go in your bathtub, you know, <laughs> turn the water well, on. Like, and <laughs> it, it's the waterproof thing that interests me. Yeah. I mean, look, it's going to be, especially in a disaster, I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be the elements. You got to deal with the elements. But, you know, when I, when I was in the military, I mean, one of the most, the most critical thing that you do once you get to your destination and, and all the way along destination is have communications. You always have to have communications. If you need backup, if you need air support, if you need rescue, whatever it is, if you don't have communications, you're, you know, you're, you're SOL. So this is a very, I think this is a topic that a lot of people don't ever consider, maybe because we're so stuck to our cell phones. But um, this was a this was a really great tip from David. Um, I recommend actually go to our blog and everybody out there and, and go check out. Um, you know, we use a, we use the Discuss uh, platform for our comments, and what that allows you to do is kind of build your your profile in there. But people can follow your comments, and I've started following David's because um, I went and looked at some of his other comments, and he has some really great advice. So. You can do that in there. I suggest going there. If you find somebody that you really like what they're saying and check out a few of their posts, you can go ahead and follow them. And so anytime that they comment, you can see, like kind of go into your console and see what they've commented on. And um, so check that out. But so thanks to David, I am now checking out Marine VHF radios and, and base stations to see if that's a better option for me. So I appreciate that tip. Uh, Buck, what do you know this week? Well, my favorite comment was posted just about 30 seconds ago by a user named B Green 1964, and he says Jeff Anderson loved Kim Jong Un. Uh, but my second, favorite I have comment, such a man crush on him. God, he's cute. <laughs> have you have you seen the galleries of Kim Jong Un looking at things? Apparently, all he does is just travel North Korea looking at stuff. It's amazing. I want that job. Um, <laughs> uh, no, actually, uh, one of one of the better comments was uh, posted on the, the Screw the Tear Gas post. It was by a guy going by the username Hacksaw. It got me thinking because he mentioned he was sort of thinking out loud about, you know, with with the advent of, of 
military style vehicles and using them for crowd control. And we're seeing this as like those uh, MRAP uh, anti-ambush vehicles are making their way into all kinds of law enforcement agencies almost for free because the military can't seem to give them away cheaply enough. Uh, you know, this, this militarization of police and the use of heavy equipment like this for crowd control, riot control, SWAT type stuff. Uh, Hacksaw said something to the effect of, well, we need to develop a portable version of those uh, those big uh, anti-tank caltrops that you might remember pictures of, of D-Day and stuff where you see those big metal barriers that look like stars that they put up to sort of deter tanks and other vehicles from going through the area. And, and I got to thinking about that. I'm like, you know, it, it probably isn't uh, likely that we could put together something that you could carry around and set up to stop a tank. But military vehicles are not invulnerable. I mean, they're big and they're scary and they're heavily armored, but two of the classic counter uh, agents, so to speak, for large military vehicles are pits, because, you know, if you drop a, an armored personnel vehicle into a large pit, it's now useless to the people driving it. And fire, if you, uh, there was a time, at least, I don't know about modern tanks, but um, one of the tactics in like World War II for defeating a tank is to cover it in fire, um, because they're not really designed, you know, what is a tank? It's an armored vehicle, yes, but there's an engine in there. And uh, engines react badly to being covered in fire. Hmm. So, you know, it, it just got me thinking in terms of, of how would you defeat a large vehicle like that? And I know there are some posts floating around the Internet about how to defeat MRAPs and things like that, which is not to say that we're all going to band together Wolverine style, like from Red Dawn. And I mean the first Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze, not the new one, <laughs> and go fighting the go fighting the bad guys. It, it, but it is something to consider. Like, you know, if you did have to, deal with a vehicle like that, what are its vulnerabilities? So I was really grateful for that post because it got me thinking about that. Yeah, and the Hacksaw's comment, you know, really brought up the, um, you know, what you what you can do, you know, like what you could do in, in a survival situation like that. And it's really about obstacles because, I mean, the the – the weak link in a lot of these vehicles is is mobility. If it's a large vehicle, like I've seen the, um, we're talking about like the microwave dish thing and the sound. Sound cannons are now quite portable, but they usually put them on top of large vehicles like MRAPs and things like that. And those things have to maneuver. And if you can create barriers that restrict movement, um, especially a lot of these directional type, um, less than lethal means of riot control, they are directional, so if it's not directed at you, or if they're if they can't reach your range, then then you know they're not a threat. And so, um, you know, we had we had some really good really good tips on all that. But but that was um that was a really great point from Hacksaw, and appreciate everything. Obviously, uh, there's there's always some really great comments out there, and uh, so definitely don't just stop with the blog post. Go ahead and look at the comments that we've got there, and be able to you know and go in there and, and check those out. And add to them as well. Share your share your tips because we're all in this together. And uh, well, okay, that wraps up this Friday's reload of everything from the blog. And I really appreciate everybody's uh, attendance in checking out our new podcast and everything we've got going on. So what we're looking for is your support. So make sure that you go over to our website to check out our blog posts and leave a comment at moderncombatandsurvival.com. Check us out on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash modern combat and survival and don't forget to go ahead and subscribe to our podcast 
rate our cop, our podcast and let all your friends know about our podcast because we're looking to really take this big. We've got some great information coming up for you. Lots of really great in-depth interviews with some really awesome experts. So definitely go ahead and give us an awesomeness rating on the on iTunes. And until our next podcast and Friday Reload, this is Jeff Anderson and Buck Green saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. Awesome. Thanks everybody. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.